facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A thunderous Thursday to you. So glad you're with me on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Absolutely crazy viral story that we've got to get to. Did Disney delete verses from the Bible? Are they planning to make a movie about the Bible or a series of movies? This is, this is a, a, a wacky viral story that has captured the imaginations of many. A lot of people are asking questions about it. I'll deal with that in just a second. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. That's our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. And you can also email the program, C-A-L-E, kale at relevantradio.com. And find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. So yeah, let's start with this. Let's start with this. It's a, it's a wild, viral internet story that's been making the rounds about Disney allegedly buying the rights to the Bible, the text of the Bible. Apparently, Disney owns it, according to this viral video. Is it true? Are they deleting verses from the Bible also at will? Is this real? Or is this Fantasia? <laughs> is this nothing but a fantasy? Well, let me, let me play the video for you in question. And by the way, it appeared on TikTok. And the user is at Claritas Voice. C-L-A-R-E-T-A-S dot voice. At Claritas Voice dot voice. Okay, I have no idea who this person is, but check out what she says. I just read an article about the Disney company buying the rights to the Bible. Yep, the Bible. Check this out. The original intent of the $7.2 billion purchase was to create, produce this Bible series. However, the story began to thicken when they purchased the rights to the NIV as well as the RSV. You'll never guess what happened next. Matthew 1721 was completely deleted from both versions. Look, but this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. It's not there. It literally skips from 20 to 22 in both versions. This is exactly why it's vitally important to study the word and know it for yourself. If they take it away, you need to know what it says. If they change it, you need to know what it says. Jesus is soon to return. You need to be ready. Okay, well, I agree with with the part about, yeah, we need to know the Bible. We need to read the Bible. We need to absolutely have it uh, in mind, in our hearts, and live out its message. That's one of the things we do a lot, especially on the Faith Explained program, is go through books of the Bible. We're going through the book of Romans right now, St. Paul's greatest letter. But what of this? Is it true that Disney, in fact, owns the Bible, that they purchased the Bible and are now deleting verses from it, such as this verse about exorcism, prayer, and fasting in Matthew 17, verse 21. Okay, well, let's get to that Bible verse in just a second, but um, let me tell you what is really happening here. Um, and my thanks to shadow producer Lucas Holt for alerting me to this story, uh, sent me this video. Apparently, millions of people are chattering about this. So let, let's set the record straight here. Um, Independent scholar Dan McClellan on YouTube did a response to this, and uh, he, he's right about a lot of the things he says, and I, I'm going to share some of the information that he did. 
I, I, and that guy in particular, we'll, we'll do some more on Dan McClellan later on. He's an independent religious scholar. I don't agree with him about a lot of things that he says on his channel. Um, but that's okay. Sometimes we can disagree with people about some things, but they can be absolutely bang on about other things. And the truth of the matter is when it comes to the, to the Bible itself, it has intellectual property rights to the Bible, to the word of God. The word of God is free. It's available to anyone and it cannot be bought the bible is in the public domain as it were but I, I guess you could say the only person who owns the intellectual property to the bible is god himself god the holy spirit however you can't buy it now here's here's the deal though what about the fact that translations of the bible are copyrighted okay that that's a different deal there are in fact and you might know this and, and uh, this person on TikTok, Claritas.voice, did mention this, that there are translations of the Bible in English, and she mentioned a couple of them in particular, the NIV, which is known as the New International Version, not really used by Catholics, very popular in the evangelical world. There's also the RSV, that one came up also in the video. These are different English translations of the scriptures, and those are copyrighted. They are copyrighted. If you open up any Bible, and in fact, I've got a copy of the NIV Bible here. I've got a copy of the RSV Bible here. I've even got the um, RSV 2CE, and that's the uh, Revised Standard Version 2nd Catholic Edition. Why is it the 2nd Catholic Edition? Because in the 2nd Edition, they took out the uh, these and thou's archaic uh, uh, English language words referring to to God, just replace it with you. Now, you might not like that. You might prefer the old English way. That's fine. So who, who owns the copyright to this? Well, this particular one that I have in my hand is published by Ignatius Press, but the copyright belongs to the Division of Christian Education of the National Council of the Churches of Christ in the United States of America. So they own the copyright to this particular English translation, which was worked on by a bunch of scholars and I, I, I heard that there was some sort of a complaint made against the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops because I, I think the U.S. bishops actually own the copyright to the biblical text that use, that's used in Mass for the readings in the United States, which I believe is the New American Bible. So, Jim, you can, uh, or Patrick Alog, you can fact-check me on that. But I, I think the bishops own the copyright to that. And some people are questioning that. Why should the bishops own a copyright to this thing? So the, we'll talk about that another time, but but this is what happened. Even, even the texts of the Mass, by the way, are in fact copyrighted. The International Committee on English in the Liturgy, they own the copyright for the Mass text. And, and so anybody who's quoting at length the Eucharistic prayers, you have to, you actually have to pay a copyright or, or get a copyright arrangement with these guys to use the intellectual property. Isn't that interesting? So... Having said that, the Word of God itself is free, okay? But some of these translations are copyrighted. All right, what about this question that Disney has actually, one of the reasons they allegedly bought the Bible was they wanted to make a Bible movie. All right, this, this was a, we can put a link to this video, by the way, in the, in the show notes, if anybody wants to check it out. But where, where does this come from? Well, Actually, believe it or not, this is a huge misunderstanding. And it's hard, it's hard to know whether the person who made this video 
is aware of this or not, but it's actually based on an article that came out in 2018 from the Babylon Bee. This idea that Disney is going to make a Bible movie or a series of Bible movies. And in fact, if you go on the internet, if you go on the internet archive, you can still find the article. It's called Disney Buys Rights to the Bible and Plans 37 Sequels. Okay, the Babylon Bee is a Christian satire website. Most of you guys are probably pretty familiar with it. Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee has been on Relevant Radio before. A lot of people get a chuckle from the Bee every single day. So the, the article's still out there in the web archive. <laughs> and here, here's what it actually says. No, it's accompanied by, by an image, this article, which is kind of like a movie poster. And it says, the Bible, the Christ awakens. And it's kind of a Star Wars theme. There's a guy with lightsabers. There's this image of Jesus kind of looking on from the corner of a planet. It, it, okay. So here, here's the little article. And again, this is satire. This is satire. Burbank, California. Disney is buying the intellectual property rights to the Bible for $7.02 billion. And, and, and the, the maker of that video, which we just played for you, was that's one of the things that she was claiming. She had an image up there saying, Disney buys the Bible for $7 billion. Okay, so this Babylon Bee article, 2018, Disney is buying the IP, the intellectual property rights to the Bible for $7.02 billion from its author. And it's author with a capital A, obviously meant to be God. Okay, you're okay. In a statement announcing the purchase, Disney said it planned to release a major Bible sequel in 2020. Now, don't forget the article came out in 2018. A major Bible sequel is going to come out in 2020 called The Christ Awakens, kicking off a big budget trilogy. That exciting new franchise launch will be followed by around 36 more planned sequels, reboots, remakes, and spinoffs, the company said. While some of the stories will follow the overarching plot of God establishing his kingdom, other stories will be offshoots of characters and worlds within the biblical narrative, such as Shamgar, a judge's story, the book of Judges, the rise of Habakkuk, <laughs> Song of Solomon 2, Gaza Heat. Of course, Song of Solomon is, a, according to some, erotic love poetry. Song of Solomon 2, Gaza Heat. Oh, okay. Just had Valentine's Day. Um, and Dirty Job or Dirty Job, a gritty follow-up to the book of Job starring Mike Rowe. Okay, so this person who made this video saying Disney bought the Bible, I apparently is not aware, apparently is not aware that this was actually stemming from a 2018 Babylon Bee article, which is pure satire pure satire all right so i uh, hope we've cleared that up a little bit disney is not buying the b that article or sorry disney is not buying the bible they can't buy the bible the article is a joke the article is a joke from the babylon b but what about the, what about this whole issue of matthew 17 21 did disney purchase okay if the, did disney purchase any of these translations do they own any of these translations there, there is another video out there floating around saying that they do it's kind of unrelated to the one that we played for you but but they don't disney is not associated with listen i'm not trying to be an apologist for disney here i'm just saying this particular story is completely bogus the copyright for the niv translation the new international version translation 
which is one of the translations which omits Matthew 17, 21. This demon, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. The copyright for that NIV text is owned by a company called Biblica. Now, Biblica owns the copyright to that translation of the Bible, but they license it. They license this intellectual property to a, to a U.S. company called Zondervan, which publishes uh, it NIV Bibles in the United States. And they also license the NIV intellectual property to a company in the U.K. called Hodder & Stoughton. You might have heard of this publisher, Hodder & Stoughton. So how is Disney connected to this? Well, it's kind of a long and tangled web. I'll try to simplify it for you as much as possible. But Biblica licensed the NIV to Hodder & Stoughton in the UK. This company is owned by another company called the Hatchet Book Group. The Hatchet Book Group bought another book company called Hyperion Books. I know this is super complicated. Don't worry about it. They bought Hyperion Books from Disney. Disney used to own them. And they simply changed the name Hyperion to Hatchet. It's just all Hatchet books now. But it has nothing to do with Disney. Disney never was associated with any of the companies that print NIV Bibles. They have no connection whatsoever. So that part of the story is also bogus. But I, I do want to I, I check this uh, text, though, Matthew 17, 21, and why is it not in the Bible? All right, so by the way, here we thanks, Producer Jim. Uh, producer Jim was able to look up some information on who owns the copyright. Okay, and this is actually from the USCCB themselves. He's telling me in my ear. And the CCD, the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, actually owns the copyright on the New American Bible. So it's not the bishops. Revised uh, edition translation. And this allows, it says, this copyright allows the owner to protect the integrity of the text so that individuals may not introduce changes without permission and uh, essentially yeah the ccd the u.s uh confraternity of christian doctrine the u.s bishops it's essentially they're acting as one body here so it's a bit of uh splitting hairs here but but that's a good reason and this is one of the reasons for copyright of intellectual property so that changes can't be made without permission you can't just cut and paste and add a few verses of your own into it that's not cool but let's uh, talk about that particular verse that allegedly was taken out of the Bible by Disney. Well, first of all, Disney didn't do it. They had nothing to do with it. They don't own any of the companies that have the copyright for these Bible translations. But that verse does not appear in most legit Bible translations for a reason. For a reason. I think it's a very good reason it was taken out of the translation of Matthew because it was never in there in the first place. Okay, so... Let, let's 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 see this here. Let, this is the actual passage in question. This is Matthew chapter seventeen, verses fourteen to twenty-one. Check this out. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, that's Jesus, knelt before him and said, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him." Now, this is, this is really interesting. I'm going to tell you why this particular translation says epileptic in just a moment. Say, so, well, hold on here. I thought he was demon-possessed. I'm just checking one other translation here, and this is the um, second Catholic edition of the RSV. And let's, I just want to compare this. Here we go. This is great radio as I'm flipping through my, my Bible here. Here we go. Matthew 17. 
So what we see here in Matthew 17 in the Revised Standard Version, second Catholic edition, is the same thing. It says epileptic. Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. All right, we'll get into this in just a second. He often falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. By the way, you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Text goes on to say this, Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then the very next verse, verse 21, was taken out of the text, allegedly. It's taken out of the NRSV, it's taken out of the NIV, it's taken out of a lot of different translations. And what is that verse? It says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, why is that verse taken out? Why does it go straight from verse 20 to verse 22? I'll tell you the reason why after this break. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back. And yeah, I only want to be with you. And you can call right now, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. be great to hear from you. We're talking about this viral video that's been sweeping across the internet suggesting that Disney owns the rights to the Bible. They don't. <laughs> they were planning to make Bible movies. They weren't. That was a 2018 satire article by the Babylon Bee. And this video is also alleging that Disney took verses out of the Bible, namely because there's one, there's one verse in particular that um, the video was focusing in on, Matthew 17, verse 21. And in any pretty much any legit English Bible translation, it is missing from the text. It goes straight from verse 20 to 22. What happened? <laughs> Well, in most of your Bibles, again, you'll see a footnote at the bottom of the page saying, oh, well, this manuscript is omitted for a reason. I'll tell you what that is, that particular verse. And what is the verse? Again, this is the case of the demon-possessed boy, or as Matthew puts it, the epileptic boy. And Jesus casts a demon out of him. He's fine. And the verse that was taken out, allegedly, verse 21 of Matthew 17 says, this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So I guess the implication is that Disney doesn't want you to know that demons are real. They take out any reference for, for I don't know what the think, thinking pattern is here. And like I said, I'm, I'm not, there's lots, lots of issues with Disney, but this isn't one of them. This isn't one of them. So if you've heard this, don't be disturbed by this. And if you missed the first segment of the show where I kind of break down this video, you're going to want to download the podcast. You're going to want to stream the podcast. You're going to want to share the podcast on the relevant radio app. It'll be out just a few minutes 
after the end of this episode of the Kale Clark Show or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if that's your bag, great. I would ask that you leave a rating and review on those sites, on those apps. It just helps people to find us as we seek to share the good word of Christ with the world through the media here at Relevant Radio. Okay, so let's get back to this uh, Matthew 17 passage. This is um, Jesus healing uh, the boy who's possessed. Uh, but interestingly enough, it says that he is epileptic. Also in Matthew 17, the father says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic. He suffers terribly, often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples. They could not cure him. And Jesus answers him saying, you faithless and perverse generation. How much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. All right. So this actually comes from the Gospel of Mark. You say, Well, hang on here. You're saying Matthew borrowed it from Mark? Uh, he did. He did. Now, this is a whole other story that we can get into later if you want, and you can call in 888-914-9149. But Matthew, um, there's an old saying in gospel research that when there is no Mark to follow, Matthew and Luke go their own way. You probably noticed when you've read the Gospels, and hopefully you'll be reading the Gospels a lot during Lent, great thing to do, uh, really brush up on our Bible reading. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see that they're very, very similar. John is a completely different animal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which comes from a Greek word, which means to see as if through one eye. There's a lot of similar stuff, but there's also some different stuff. There's some stuff that Matthew has that Luke doesn't have. It's not in Mark. And then there's stuff that Luke has. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark. But they have a lot in common with Mark. And so the saying is, where there is no Mark to follow, they go their own way. But whenever Mark says something about anything, they follow Mark's chronological outline of Jesus' career. Now, why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Mark was the, the, the gospel that was written first. Secondly, who's really behind the gospel of Mark? It's Peter. It's, it's really the gospel of Peter. Now, there is a an apocryphal gospel, a fake gospel that came out late second century called the Gospel of Peter. It was not written by Peter, by the way. If you ever hear about this thing, and you probably will at Easter time, we'll have to do another show about all the conspiracy theories that are out there. You'll hear things like, if you're watching, I don't know, the History Channel or something, you, you might see a documentary that says, the church is hiding gospels from you. Have they ever told you about the Gospel of Peter? Why, no, they haven't. Well, they must be hiding this from me, those oh, wicked church leaders. Now, they're not hiding anything from you. You can find these on the internet. You can Google them. You can read them. And when you read them, even if you're, you don't have to be a trained scholar to realize this is ridiculous. There's a reason why the church didn't put these in the Bible. The Gospel of Peter uh, contains a story about a talking cross that comes out of Jesus' tomb, and it's so tall, it goes into the clouds, and it starts talking to people. Yeah, that, that that sounds like it's something historical, doesn't it? All kinds of other stuff in there. We'll talk about that another time. But but the, the real gospel of Peter is not called the gospel of Peter. 
people just would add names of famous people onto the documents they're writing to make people read them. Oh man, Peter wrote this. I better read this thing. Uh, but, but really Peter is the source of Mark's gospel because Mark was Peter's scribe. He was his traveling companion in Rome and he wrote down the recollections of Jesus's ministry, his career from Peter's recollections. And there we have it. So, so it's sort of out of deference to Peter that they follow uh, Mark's order of things. But Matthew actually kind of uses this account that's in Mark chapter nine, the same account is there. And he kind of like shortens it a little bit, makes it a little tighter. And he, he highlights something different that, that Mark really doesn't focus on that much in this particular thing. He talks about faith and how the disciples are really failing in faith. Um, there's a couple other little differences here that the father of, of the, the, the boy kneels before Jesus and calls him Lord. But in Mark's gospel, when he calls him teacher. It's a little bit more you know, extra pizzazz there. Um, and what's interesting, too, is that like earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus gave the, the apostles and his disciples, the 70, power to cast out demons. So they had the ability to cast out demons, but they couldn't get the demons out of this kid. And, and so Jesus has to do it himself, um, showing his great power, of course, much greater power. What about this whole thing about epilepsy? Some people have used this to try to say that, well, there really were no demons. There's no such thing as demons. What people thought were demon-possessed people in the ancient world, well, the ancients were just stupid. They didn't know about modern science and medicine. We're really just dealing with epilepsy and, and all kinds of other disorders that the ancients just didn't know about. Okay, first of all, it's chronological snobbery to say that ancients don't know squat. There are things that the ancients knew that we still don't know. For example, how they built the pyramids without hydraulics. That's just one example. But they knew the genuine article, whether or not someone, this is a demonic thing happening, or whether it's a physical ailment. But even though, even though in Matthew's version here, it does say the boy had epileptic issues, if you will, guess what happens? Jesus still casts a demon out of him. So there is a demonic element here, no matter what. You can't get rid of it. But it's interesting because um, in the ancient world, epilepsy was called falling down syndrome because people who suffer from it would very often fall. They'd be foaming at the mouth. They'd grind their teeth, just like this kid was doing. And someone who actually suffered from this was pretty famous. I don't know if you know this, but Alexander the Great was an epileptic, and he suffered from this condition. And people sometimes thought that the origin of this was demonic. Now, in this case, this kid did have a demon, so there was a connection there, but it's not true in every case. So just be really careful there. At any rate, Jesus is really ticked off when he finds out that his, uh, his disciples could not cure this kid. And he just says, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer do I have to put up with you? He's, he's almost hinting, you know, the end is near for me here. I'm going to leave this world soon. But Jesus rebukes the demon, it says, comes out of him and the boy was cured instantly in Matthew 17 verse 18. So he just has to say the word. This is the incredible power, stupendous of Jesus. And then in private, in private, they ask him, hey, how come we couldn't do this? And, and this is, again, an important motif in the Gospels, the inside-outside motif. When you're, when you're in private with Jesus, if you're in the in-group, if you're in the church, you'll get the full explanation. It's like when Jesus explains the parables behind closed doors. In the house of Peter, in Capernaum, for example, that's a symbol of the church. That's where we get the true 
meaning of Jesus' teachings, because there's a lot, a lot of people that misunderstand them outside of the church. So they ask him this, and you can't blame him for being confused. It's hard to kind of pin that on them, because remember, he had already given them unclean you know, or authority over unclean spirits in Matthew chapter 10. And there's no other place where they, where, they, where they kind of botch their assignment. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus gives them an assignment and they just don't get it done. So this is why Jesus kind of highlights here the importance of faith. It's important for us to know in this season of Lent. He says, because of your little faith, for truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Matthew actually kind of expands a little bit, shares some extra intel that Mark doesn't have in his version of this. Jesus says, look, the reason why you couldn't do this was because of your little faith. And, and he said this to them on, on other occasions as well in Matthew. He, it's, and if you read it in the original Greek text, it's called the little, he actually, actually says to them, you're the little faith ones. You're the little faith ones. It's almost like he's kind of chiding them a little bit. And if you do have even just a little bit of faith, though, you may be little faith people right now, but if, if you have just a little bit more, you can do great things. And um, Matthew sort of uses this image of moving mountains. Luke talks about the mustard seed turning into a mulberry tree, um, all that sort of stuff. Now, why, no, okay, so let's get to this question of why is verse 21 omitted from English translations of the Bible? Jesus saying to them, this kind, this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Well, the reason is very simple. It has nothing to do with Disney. It has nothing to do with people wanting to doctor the Bible. This verse is not in the original manuscripts of Matthew, the oldest manuscripts of Matthew. Now, the way the Bible was written, the actual first copy of Matthew, and there, there might have been, there's probably more than one copy, another story for another day, but this is called the autograph the autograph. It's the actual first copy or copies of Matthew. And then we have translations, copies of copies. We, they didn't have computers back then. Obviously, things were copied by hand. But the oldest copies that we have of Matthew, Codex Sinaiticus, uh, which is, Codex means a book, and also Codex Vaticanus. This is in, this is in the Vatican Library. These are the oldest manuscripts of Matthew that have been discovered. And they don't have this verse. So what probably happened was later on in time, well, this is what actually did happen, and not probably, that a scribe tried to kind of, well, you know what? He's trying to almost like slip in something from Mark's account. And this, this verse is in Mark's gospel. He says, well, it probably should be in Matthew too. I think it should be in Matthew. So he kind of adds it to Matthew's text. But it's easy to figure out what happened because you can compare the manuscripts with one another. The oldest ones don't have this. A guy added it in later. It's, it wasn't part of Matthew's original version. So, and, and the reason why he added that, and the reason why I think Matthew never had it in there in the first place, he, he knows about Mark and what it says in Mark about, because this isn't Mark, the, the verse about this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew didn't talk about that because Matthew wanted to focus on this, this issue of faith. That's what he wanted to focus on when he retold this incident from the career of Jesus. So I hope that makes sense. So Disney's innocent in this case. How about that? You can call in, and if you have a question about this, you can reach me at 888-914-9149. It's the Kale Clark Show live on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. 
1-800-529-2949. Good time for your phone calls. If you want to call in right now, going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the show. 888-914-914. 9149 is the number to call. It's Talk to Me for free. 888-914-9149. Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Jesse in Austin, Texas. Hey, Jesse. Jesse, are you there? Hey, Kale. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you now. Loud and clear, sir. Awesome. Thanks so much for everything you do. Love your show. Oh, thank you, so sir. Appreciate I'm, that. I'm, I'm not a big scripture scholar, but um, I've done a little study here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we go chronologically speaking, some of Paul's epistles predate the Gospels. Oh, yeah. And I'm fairly That's true. certain the Gospel of Mark is the first Gospel recorded. Yes. So I don't think that Matthew would have that knowledge. I'm sorry, that, that Mark would have the knowledge of Matthew. Did I get it wrong when I was listening or. No, no, I'm no. I'm actually I sh- driving right now, oh, okay, so I okay. don't want to take up so, the time. So, no, 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 not at all. So, no, thanks for calling in. You, you're, 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 okay, first of all, I just want to say you're right about uh, when you mentioned that Paul's letters predate the Gospels, they were written before the Gospels. That is absolutely true. A lot of people don't know that. The earliest document that we have in the New Testament is Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. It was probably written around, around the year 50, 51, maybe AD. Some might date it to 52. That's the earliest letter or document from the New Testament. The Gospels were written later than that, in all likelihood. But you, you, what you said first was correct. That Now, again, people can fight me on this. Like there, there are different schools of thought on this. But I think the most... Per, and it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the text that we have is the text that we have. The final form of the text that got canonized by the Church as the Word of God, the New Testament... But in terms of which came first, that, that's not a matter of faith, by the way. You can disagree with, there are, there are people who think that Matthew was written first. I, I just don't think they have good arguments. But the Gospel of Mark, what you said first, Jesse, I, I think you were right about that. Mark was written first, and Matthew and Luke, when they were writing their Gospels, made use of Mark. They are aware of Mark. They know of Mark. And they follow his order of things. There's a lot of different reasons why we think that Mark was written first. And not everybody does, like I said, but the top three Catholic Bible scholars in the United States believe that Mark was written first, and they're a lot smarter than I am. So, uh, so does that help a little bit? Or, oh no, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for taking yeah. my call. Yeah, you got it, Jesse. And you know, one other thing too, and um, I appreciate that call from Jesse and Austin. And Austin always comes through with awesome phone calls for it's for us. It's been a great market here for Relevant Radio. So call back anytime, Jesse. Appreciate you, man. Have a blessed Lent. When you read, when you go, when you're tr- making the transition, you're reading the Old Testament and you go from the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New, it starts off with Matthew. Now, Matthew is the first book that you see, but that doesn't mean it's the first book that was written. The New Testament starts off with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, why does Matthew come first? Because it's a very Jewish Gospel, and it's written to uh, persuade Matthew's fellow Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, do Gentiles read this book too? Yeah, but... It's a very Jewish gospel. Jesus is presented as a new and greater Moses. It, it's it's sort of divided up into five books within Matthew, just like the five books of Moses in the Old Testament. There's a lot of reasons for this, and we've covered some of this stuff on, on this show in the past and also on the Faith Explained program. But that's why Matthew appears first 
I believe, in the New in the New Testament list, but it wasn't the first one that was written. That would be Mark. So good question from Jesse. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call. So yeah, we can talk about more more biblical manuscript stuff if you want. It's an interesting field for sure. I also wanted to share this with you too, uh, as you're calling in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Get a great little period of time here for open phone calls in these last few minutes of the show in this third segment triple eight nine one four nine one four nine on the kale clark show on relevant radio interesting dude that i follow on twitter his name is kevin dahlstrom kind of a business guy he's founded four companies um he, he had a post today that really caught my eye just kind of popped up on my timeline and it was called five things that great parents do and you know, as a parent, I'm always on the lookout for tips. And I thought this was truly amazing because he, he quotes Jeff Bezos, of course, the founder of Amazon. And Bezos once said this, he said, quote, the single biggest advantage in life is great parents, end of quote. And certainly our upbringing does influence us. And some of you out there have had great upbringings, great parents, and, and others maybe have had parents that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe your upbringing wasn't, wasn't the best. And, um, and I'm sorry about that if that's the case, but even, even great parents aren't perfect and (laughs) nobody's got this thing figured out that that's for sure. But Kevin Dahlstrom said, here, here are five things that the great parents do have in common. And this is, this is really good advice. I think he said, number one, great parents are present and it might be an obvious fact, but, um, we can all do better at this because the number one thing that kids need from us is our time. Because there is no substitute. You can give your kids all the stuff in the world and all the material advantages that you can muster, but there's no substitute for your presence. And um, he, he said something also that many people listening might find controversial. Again, this is him speaking, not me. This is Kevin Dahlstrom speaking. He said, quote, it's always better if one parent can stay home and be a full-time caregiver. Not all families can afford it, but many can. They just aren't willing to make the sacrifices, end of quote. I don't know what you guys think about that. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But but back to this whole issue of time. He says, if your kids are really a top priority, does your calendar back up your words? Does your calendar back up your words? Where are you actually spending your time? It kind of reminds me of something that people say about about just you know being a disciple of Jesus in general. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Look at our time, our talent, and our treasure. Is he really the Lord of all these things? If you look at your credit card statement, can you really say, Jesus is Lord of my finances? Um, what about your calendar, your time? And obviously we need time with God as well as with our, with our family. But nonetheless, so the second point he made was that great parents lead by example. And this is an amazing quote. This is an amazing quote. Your kids will eventually figure out who you really are. Whew, that's powerful. That's powerful. Your kids will eventually figure out who you really are. As they get older, as they get more wherewithal, they'll know. I mean, because I mean, let's face it, when you when you're when you're little, your parents are heroes to you, rightly so. As time goes on, you get into those teenage years, it's a little bit obviously of, you know, need to branch out, get other voices, they're looking for independence. But he says, uh, Kevin Dahlstrom says that. Kids are very, very astute. And even at a young age, I think they can figure some of this stuff out. Your actions speak louder than your words. Are you modeling good judgment, a healthy lifestyle, strong work ethic, effective communication, grace under adversity? Are you limiting your bad habits? I mean, these are things we all should be working on in Lent for sure. 
But he says, great parenting starts with leading a life worth emulating. The example is huge. Let's face it. They'll always listen to what you do more so than what you say. Number three, great parents allow their kids to struggle. One of my favorite sayings he says about parenting is prepare your kid for the path, not the path for your kid. Don't prepare the path for your kid. Prepare your kid for the path. He says it's a massive disservice to your kids to insulate them from the harsh realities of the real world, especially it's challenging for people who have means and resources uh, because you, you have the ability to kind of insulate them a little bit. You can put them in private schools. You can, put, you, can, you can keep them away from whatever. But he says give your kids space to, to fend for themselves. Learn the hard lessons. Figure it out a little bit on their own. Number four, this is really good too. He's got five points. This is number four. Great parents have their own lives. He says many young parents surrender their independence when they have kids. They misguidedly devote their entire life to their family. Boundaries are healthy and important. And then he talks about what he calls the three lives. The three lives. I really liked this. So you're essentially, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're married and you have a family, you're essentially living three lives, he says. Number one, your life as a family. Number two, your life as a couple. Number one, your life as an individual. So you have to make time for yourself too, right? And, and, and work on your, your health, work on your whatever, read a book, do it. Yeah, whatever. But that, that's really important. The three lives. You have an individual life. You also have a life as a couple, as a married couple. You also have a life as a family. And you could add some more lives into that mix too. You could add extended family. You could add um, the parish family, your, your family of faith. You could add um, your work friends or whatever, your, 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 your other friends. There's, there's different groups we're all a part of. We're all you know, members of a town that we live in, a, a home, owners associate, whatever. There's all these different groups out there. But I think it, it's true that you have to have boundaries between all these different lives that we're living because he says you can't surrender one of those lives because you, if you do, you're asking for trouble. So if you, if you just torpedo your life as a couple, you never have date nights, you never spend time with each other, that's going to actually affect the, all, the, all the other lives that you're living as well. So that, that's your life with God, obviously, is huge. Your spiritual life, that's massive. And then the last thing, number five, great parents are great cheerleaders. Great cheerleaders. Studies suggest that humans need to hear five positive comments for every one negative. For kids who deal with infinitely more insecurity and self-doubt, that number is probably more like 10 to 1. What's your ratio look like? Everyone needs a cheerleader. Be that person for your kids. I really like this, um, and it's true that we we tend to, for, for whatever reason, we can get ten compliments, but that one criticism will will be the thing that we remember. It's just kind of the way we're wired, I think. So, pour it on, pour on the the affirmations if you're if you're a parent, and, and show show a lot of love. And um, Tiger Woods playing golf today. He's back back in action at the uh, Genesis Invitational. He's sponsoring that tournament and. He's got his new Sunday red gear, three words. Uh, I, I kind of like that, actually. I think it's good marketing. But, but one of the things that, stories about Tiger Woods I always found interesting was that I think he accomplished as much as he did professionally because his parents believed he could do it. His father was always telling him, you know, let the legend grow. You know, like, and, and he, he said he wasn't afraid to, to, to lose golf tournaments. That's why he tried to win them because he knew that no matter what happened, he said he would always come home to love. He would always come home to love. So he felt like he could kind of go for it in life because he wasn't afraid that if I mess this up, my dad's going to yell at me at home or whatever. You know, 
he wasn't thinking like that at all. So I always kind of remember that. It's, it is important to be a great cheerleader for your kids. Let's go to the phones, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Keith in Ocean City, Maryland. Hey, Keith. Hey, good evening. Uh, thank you for having me on. You got it. You're welcome. What's on your mind? I wanted to, well, I wanted to share. Okay. I've been watching the chosen, watching the dynamics being created. Now I realize they're, you know, filling in, but they're doing a very good job. Now the question about all these Bibles, when they appeared and such, you're way ahead of me, but I'm just summating it as once uh, Simon Peter, I just saw the uh, new three episodes of the season. Okay. Uh, where Simon became Peter and the leader of the uh, apostles. I think at night Jesus would be apart praying and sleeping on his own. The apostles would be, uh, you know, recapping the day, so to speak. And uh, Matthew seemed to be the most active at that point, or being portrayed as such, to be taking notes of everything that Jesus has done. Uh-huh. And uh, I think this. Whoa, I'm driving up the road right now to Ocean City, actually. <laughs> okay, we don't want you to get in a crash here. but <laughs> I just kind of hit a corner with a abandoned vehicle pretty interestingly. But, uh, yeah, so they compared notes, and that's why they seem to be, like you said, much alike. But then they put their personal spin in, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I guess that's my contribution, that it was, you know, by community... Uh, agreement amongst the apostles that that's how the gospels came out very similar but then again each one was a man he saw out of his own yeah. eyes and heart you know, what jesus did you see well, the keith, chosen it's really fantastic well yeah, keith I, I actually obviously i know about the chosen and i just i just started watching it i, I my wife and i saw it we, we were we wanted to start with season one we want to start at the beginning and one of the things that it says when you watch that show is that there is some creative license taking taken here with the it's an imaginative retelling of the story of Jesus for sure and it, but with respect to with and I think they at least the one episode I saw and I haven't seen the whole series yet so I'm going to reserve judgment on the other stuff but but what I what I did see in episode 1 I thought was really interesting how they did that um but when it comes to the gospels sometimes people it's a crisis of faith for them when they start reading the gospels and say wait a minute why are there differences between Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Like I said, John's a bit of a different animal, but a lot of similarities. But there's also some differences, too. And sometimes it's a crisis of faith. Shouldn't they all be saying the exact same thing? Well, actually, you should be more worried if they were saying the exact same thing, because then it would be, okay, that, that's more likely to be a conspiracy if everybody's kind of, okay, let's, this is our story, guys. Let's get it straight. And no deviation from this. But there are little differences, and there, there are reasons for that, but that should not bother you at all, because that's the way biography was done in the, in the first century Greco-Roman world. That, and they're not like police reports. They're not like modern-day biographies. Uh, like you might read um, the new book on Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. The Gospels are not like that. They, they run by the rules of first-century biography, historical biography. And, and by those rules, they pass with flying colors. They, and they're, they are accurate. They are accurate. But, for example, you might have one evangelist relay a story that Jesus told in a slightly different way than one of the other guys does. That's totally fine. In fact, that's the way you were supposed to do it. That's the way you were supposed to do it. If you And I've talked about this before just a couple of days ago. If you were a parrot 
who would just like a like a parrot just read back exactly what your master said your rabbi said you were a bad student you had to you had to be accurate you couldn't add anything to the message you couldn't take away anything but you could represent it you could get the gist of it but present it in a different way to a different audience maybe shorten it maybe elongate it depending on how much time you have and and that's what we see in the gospel so more on this tomorrow you can call back tomorrow on the kale clark show Awesome phone calls, guys. Appreciate all of you. Share the shows with a friend through the Relevant Radio app or any podcast that you listen to. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick A. Luck took your phone calls. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Tim Reeves up next. Take it away, Michaela. I'm Kale Clark. Thank you for listening to my daddy.